up y'all welcome to another episode of worldly church girl it's your girl your host lillian harshaw on today's show we got a doozy for you folks she is a teacher a speaker a minister an author and she is an army veteran and to say that's not enough she is the owner of this beautiful organization purposed healing llc it gives me great privilege to introduce to you reverend lakeisha jones i chose the army because of the fact that uh, my grandfather was an army veteran Um, he retired from the army and he was my father figure so um, kind of like my human hero and so i wanted to follow in his footsteps him and my mother actually wanted me to go in the air force um, but I went in the Army. I'm glad I did. Um, when you left the Army, is that when you decided to further your education or were you already in school while you was in service? Um, I was in school while I was in service. Um, as a single mother in service, it was um, I, going to school was not something I ever thought was going to be possible. But I had a, um, a fellow soldier who was a single mother as well. And um, she wanted to go to school and we had had a conversation about it. So we was just like, okay, like, hey, let's do this, you know. So um, what we did is we enrolled in school. We worked together with our schedules to make sure that um, I took classes on certain days. She took classes on certain days. And because neither of us could afford a, an additional child care provider, we kept each other's children. So basically our children went to the same daycare. It just, it, it kind of worked out beautifully and that worked for three years. So I was able to get the majority of um, my undergraduate degree completed doing that. And when did you receive your call to the ministry? Oh, wow. I, um, I received my call. <laughs> when did I receive it or did I accept it? Um, <laughs> oh, you know what? When did you receive it? <laughs> And then would you accept it? (laughs) I would say I received my call probably in um, around maybe 2001. Um, But I ran for the hills. (laughs) I was not interested in being a minister um, because I was partying. I was having a good time, you know, so preaching no, uh-uh. That's my friend, my style. Not. <laughs> um, so I don't want to do that. And then on top of that, my mindset was, was how would you want me to preach? Like, do you know what I'm, I've done? Do you know what I'm doing right now? Um, <laughs> you know, so like, mm-mm, no, like mm-mm. I was having a really good time. Um, however, um, I learned very quickly um, that you can't outrun God. But I also learned very quickly, too, that the reason that I was called to ministry was because of what I've done, of what I've been through, of who I am, the mistakes that I've made, the choices that I've made, because there's someone else that's out here in this world that is very similar, who has done some of the same things, has made some of the same choices, and they need to know that God still loves them and that their choices doesn't excommunicate them. We all make poor choices. We all have made poor choices. I don't care if you've been in the church since the day you were born and have never left the church. You know, none of us are without sin. Um, None of us are perfect. So, um, and even in operating in ministry, I still fall short every day and work to try to get it together. So 2001, around about that time, I um, accepted, well, I received my call, but I didn't accept my call until 2007. 
Oh, you ran a good race. Yes. I was, <laughs> listen, I'm not normally a marathon runner, but but at that time I was. And what's the name of the church that you minister to, well, minister at now? Um, currently, I minister at Pleasant Grove Baptist Church in Prince George, Virginia. Now, is that the church that you um, got your license or is that the church you took your license to? Um, I took my license to this church and, um, and I was ordained at this church. Um, this church has been, I would say the best experiences that I've had in ministry so far. Um, I've had some really good experiences in previous churches. Um, but in this church, I just happen to have an awesome pastor who is, um, very, very keen on mentoring those who want to be mentored. Um, and he's he's upfront about um, you know some of the challenges that come with being a minister. Um, even though I'm not a pastor, I still deal with some of the challenges. Um, and he's preparing me for if I'm called to pastor, because I, I that's not a call that I, I particularly want. I'm, I'm okay if God misses me with that. So many different people say that I'm going to pastor, and um, you know they can see that because of how I am with the people and, um, and my heart and my love for God's people. So we'll, we'll see, pray for me. Yeah, I will. <laughs> um, I had a conversation not that long ago with a young lady who was dealing with some things in her family and, um, you know, she was complaining about what was going on and everything. And I was like, I said, well, listen, let's not sit here and complain about it. Let's pray. And, um, you know, let's begin to speak with the authority that we have and let's pray and let the enemy know where he stands. But also let's let's, you know, put our call out to God and Mm -hmm. ask God to help in this situation, you know, help us to be positive, help us to to know what to do in this situation. So as I began to pray and she was like, that's why I love when you pray, because you just you just pray so good. I wish I could pray like you. And I was like, wait, you can You know, Mm -hmm. me having a title just means that I have a greater responsibility because I had a call that I answered. But that doesn't mean that I'm my capabilities are anything any greater than any other person. You have some some individuals who have not been called to preach or called to teach the gospel, but they can pray down heaven. You know, and so you don't have to be a preacher to be a prayer warrior. And every preacher is not, quote unquote, a prayer warrior. You know, um, that that may not be their strong suit doesn't mean that they don't pray or can't pray. They they that just may not be their ministry because so many people have the mindset that the title, um, you know, sets you apart. And to a degree, it does set us apart in terms of responsibility. And I like to tell people all the time, for me, I see that as a faster track to hell, because if I'm not doing myself, my um doing what I'm supposed to be doing and doing my due diligence in accordance with that title, then I'm just giving myself a faster route. <laughs> right. And anyone that's confessing to be a child of God, you are holding yourself accountable because somebody's watching you. How long you been a member at your church? Um, I've been a member at my church for seven years now. Yeah. And I commend your pastor for letting women speak. Because a lot of old school pastors and ministers don't believe in a woman preaching or speaking or teaching. Well, they'll allow them to teach, but they won't allow them to speak. Now, how do you deal with that when you come across someone that looks at you or say to you, oh, you're a minister? Oh, that's different. Yeah, I have um, unfortunately had to deal with that. Um, I have been invited to preach 
Um, a friend invited me to preach, and my middle name is Deshaun, so it is a universal middle name um, or unisex middle name. And they invited me, but when they gave my information, they gave it as L. Deshaun Jones instead of Lakeisha Deshaun Jones. So I don't know if that, I never asked that person if they knew the mindset of their church. Um, but so I came to, I showed up to preach. It was a revival and the deacons were not happy. So I was not allowed to preach from the pulpit, but because the people were already there, there, there was an expectation of a revival that night. They allowed me to bring the word from the floor and that was very hard. And um, at the t- um, at the time, I had just come from a, a situation of church where I had been um, hurt by some of the people. And so I was like, mm, okay, God, I, you gonna have to really help me with this because I'm ready to go home. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so literally in prayer, I was just like, Holy Spirit, I need you. Like, I've never needed you before. And the Holy Spirit moved because um, it definitely wasn't me. And in that situation, a couple of the deacons who were very vocal afterwards came and apologized. I'm fortunate to have graduated from Samuel DeWitt Proctor School of Theology at Virginia Union with my Master of Divinity. And um, there, all of the professors are very clear on the fact that women belong in ministry. Um, Women have been in ministry since the beginning of time. And in fact, if you want to be politically correct about it. The first women to go and tell after Jesus rose, um, the first to go and tell after Jesus rose was women. So yes. It was women who were there who went to the tomb and it was women who Jesus made himself known to. And it was women who he told to go tell because the men were hiding. So. And think about that. Let's think about that a little bit deeper. After the women told the men, and even after Jesus revealed himself to the men, they still didn't believe him. Exactly. He had to show them mm-hmm. his hands for them to believe him. Mm-hmm. And then they still had to touch mm-hmm. his hand to believe him. So mm-hmm. who got time for all that? <laughs> Jesus ain't got time to sit there and show his ID. We got exactly. things, I got things to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> but so he told a woman, and really he didn't even have to say that much. He just revealed himself to the to the women. And they exactly. knew it was him. And they knew. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so women have every, every, um, we, we definitely have a place in ministry. Um, mm-hmm. and we're not going anywhere, you know? No. Um, so, and, and the thing, like one of the things I love about my church now, when I came to the church, this was my first time seeing female deacons. And at the time we had two female deacons at the church and I was like, wow, you know, this is awesome to see the transformation. So, you know, I love the fact that my pastor is very forward thinking and recognizing that women do have a place in ministry in every facet of ministry, not just hospitality or not just the nursery or Sunday school teaching, but in every facet Uh, we have, right. We have female trustees, we have female deacons, you know, um, women are operating in ministry equally to where men are operating in ministry. And I appreciate that. And, um, and then to be a part of a great seminary where they push that. And the majority of the churches 
who um, have had graduates from that seminary are operating in that mindset. You still have some that even though they graduated through seminary and they were taught that, you know, women belong in ministry, you have some that just have not come away from that mindset because at the end of the day, God is going to move as God needs to move. And it's just going to, it's just going to take some time to change some mindsets. Um, So I just pray that in those churches that there are women who are there to teach There are women that are there to um, just have an encounter with those leaders that will help transform the mindset of those leaders because God will be able to show in that encounter or in that lesson how um, equipped God has made women and how necessary we are in ministry. And if you think about it, any church you go to, I don't care what denomination it is, about 80% of them are women anyway. Yes. Why is that? Men (laughs) <laughs> that's a good question that step good step question. forth step forth men get in y'all place yeah some of it too with men is um in many cases you have men that are working and they're working hard um men that are making choices and sometimes the church can be very judgmental so they don't want to come to be judged um and that's something i think that we as a just a body of christ period have to work on stop judging mm-hmm. people You know, um, we're not called to judge them. We're called to love them. And we're spending so much time judging. And then you have people that are walking away from the church, experiencing church hurt um, when it's not church hurt. It's people hurt people in the church because the church doesn't hurt people. People hurt people. But Mm -hmm. a lot of men don't want nothing to do with that. I don't want nothing to do with that because we're supposed to love in the church. But in the church is where we have more hatred than we do outside of the church. You yes. know, um, so it's it's just easier to be outside of the church. It's it's more peaceful. And women, we can for punishment. Fu- we'll we'll tolerate that over and over. Yeah, but at the same time, it's funny because most of my shows lately have been geared towards judgment, church hurt, because I've dealt with it on several levels mm-hmm. um, of not being accepted for not being the traditional church girl. Uh, as far as like skirt all the way down to the ankle, no makeup, don't Mm -hmm. cut your hair, big earrings, no larger than a quarter, you know, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. That that was my upbringing. And might as well just say I was a rebel. I broke all those rules and then some, but, and no, and no pain and no pain. That was the other Mm -hmm. one too. I felt condemned, but I don't think it was condemned because God condemned me. I felt condemned because I felt man was condemning me. Mm -hmm. I just start being who I was and I'm like, oh, so I could be me and save at the same time. Shut up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew? So the reason that I think that the label church hurt is there is because you don't expect the church or people in the church be the ones to hurt you. And that's the, that hurts you more than worldly hurt because you expect the world to hurt your feelings. You expect the world to be mean. You expect the world to be cruel, but not the church. Well, because you come to the church to be loved. You come, you know, people come to the church to be loved. They come to the church to be healed. So oftentimes this happens because of ignorance. Um, For several years, I um, was the leader of our women's ministry. And one of the things that um, I did is talked about how we approach different people when they come dressed a certain way. You know, um, Jesus said, come unto me as you are. And that that is so layered. 
when, you know, when we're saying that come unto me as you are, it's not just to how you physically dress. It's also come unto me as you are wounded, come to me as you are broken, come to me as you are angry, as you are hurt. Um, but then when it comes to the physicality of it, if a person walks in the street off the street, and if all they have is what they have on, if they walk in and they look like a thug, if they walk in and they are a prostitute and all they have are their working clothes, we they need to be able to feel embraced. If they don't feel embraced, they're not coming back. Mm-mm. You know, and if we don't change our mindsets and the and and not just our mindsets, but the looks on our face, the comments, if I'm whispering to another sister or another brother because of what she has on, she's not coming back because she's going to be um feel uncomfortable and she's not going to want to be here. We have to learn that, you know what? If you want to see this young lady change the way that she dresses and instead of wearing a a whole lot of cleavage out, instead of wearing really, really short skirts that can be distracting um, or that can even be, um, you know, tempting Mm -hmm. to someone, then it's about relationship. Build a relationship with her. Get to know her because in the time of building the relationship, you might find that she doesn't want to dress like that, but that's all she has you know, um, and she can't afford any better. And then maybe that can open the door for you to take her shopping, or if you have clothing to give away that you can give to her that she'd be willing to accept, but off the top without a relationship, no, I'm not going to take anything from you. I'm going to be offended because you don't even know me. But if you take Mm -hmm. the time to get to know me and then we become comfortable, I can ask certain questions and it not be offensive by me asking those questions. So it's about building relationships and we have to stop looking past what people look like on the outside and start getting to know who they are on the inside. As Mm -hmm. people grow, the outward appearance will change to a degree, you know, like, um, like you said, I'm coming with my big hoop earrings. As you can see, I'm coming with my Afro, you know, and sometimes I'm going to have my head wrap on, you know, sometimes I'm going to have African attire on, um, you know, sometimes I'm going to have a t-shirt and a skirt on or a t-shirt, a skirt and sneakers on because I'm going to be me. And, mm-hmm. and I'm intentional, especially as a preacher with being me, because I mentor young girls. So in mentoring young girls, I can't tell them that they're allowed to be comfortable in being who they are and that they don't have to change who they are and conform to everybody else to look like everybody else when they have a particular style that speaks to them. I can't tell them to do that if I'm not willing to do that. And so I'm going to come in my own style. And I recognize that I might have some looks over here at the deaconess corner. I might get some looks over at the um, deacon's corner. I might even get some looks from, you know, some of the members like who she thinks she is. How's she going to come dressed like that? It's Sunday. This ain't dressed down Sunday. How she got, um, you know, a T-shirt on and, sne- and, a, and a skirt and sneakers. Because mm-hmm. I want to. Right. <laughs> you know, I felt like it on today. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, be happy. I ain't coming here with no green hair. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, and then if you did, that's, your, prerog- that's you your prerogative. Know? But that doesn't mean that I'm not here to worship God and to praise God. You know, I'm still here to worship right. God and to praise God. And what I look like should not affect your ability to worship God or praise God. And if what I look like, how I'm dressed, the earrings that I'm wearing, the makeup that's on my face, the color on my lip, if um, the style of my hair, if those things are causing an individual to, um, to not be able to worship and praise God, that has nothing to do with me and that has everything to do with them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because you're choosing to focus on me because this is vital time that you could be worshiping God. This is vital time that you could be praising God. But because you're choosing to focus on me, you're choosing to be distracted. And a lot of times I'm like, you low key probably want to wear the same thing, but you just mad. I'm saying 
absolutely. Um, coming into ministry, I remember um, I was still married. I remember sitting on the bed because the pastor that I had at the time was a female. And she was like, well, you know, your skirt's got to be shorter. Now, mind you, my skirts were already knee length or just below the knee. You know, they weren't short skirts or anything like that. But she was like, your skirts have to be longer, you know, and I wasn't even 30 yet, you know. Um, so I was crying and I'm sitting on a bed crying like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do what God has called me to do, but I don't want to be old. You know, I was like, I don't want to I don't want to age myself just because I'm a minister. Do, do I have to act like look like I'm 50 and 60 just because I'm a minister? And I quickly learned that I don't. You know, of course, as a minister, there is a level of appropriate you know, I can't have my be um, having my cleavage all out and stuff like that. That's not appropriate. And I mean, it's not something that I want to do anyways. I don't have to look like everybody else. That's okay well, if I don't look like everybody else. So, and I just had to give my permission to myself permission to be okay with that. And once I gave myself permission to be okay with that, I went ahead and I, um, you know, I continued to keep it moving because um, that was important. Yeah, I'm still listening. I'm I'm still it. <laughs> okay, ain't that it? So maybe uh, bring back some old dances. <laughs> and 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 truth be told, some of these dances that they're doing now is just a newer version, a, a slightly adjusted version to the old dances that we used to do. Pretty much. So. Tell me about Purpose Healing. Purpose Healing LLC is um, that is my baby. Um, that is. A, a, I developed that company basically to help people um, heal um, and transform themselves, get out of the box. You have a lot of people who um, find themselves kind of being cookie cutter because that's what's expected of them. So helping people to learn how to become their authentic selves. And, th and that is done in so many different ways. Um, it is done through couples counseling. Um, it could be helping individuals um, deal with stress and anger, helping them to just kind of figure out who am I, you know, who am I? What does that look like? Um, helping people overcome infidelity, you know, so many different things that people deal with. I can, with purpose healing, I can be booked for speaking engagements, um, workshops. One of the workshops I'm working on right now is body positivity for um, young girls. And um, initially it was intended for teens, but I've had so much feedback from different mothers who have girls that are six years old, eight years old, who are saying things like, I hate my body because their body mm -hmm. doesn't look like their friend's body. So just kind of helping young girls to understand the importance of loving who you are and loving your body and being able to show them that, um, you know, we have differences and those differences in our body are not negative things. You know, um, they're positive things. There's some things that you can do with your body and your body makeup that another person cannot do. So it makes you unique. Um, you may be able to, um, run and, um, you know, do all of those things um, a lot faster. You may be able to do the hurdles, whereas someone else who's um, a little bit shorter, it's not able to do that, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So it's just getting them to learn their, um, learn to appreciate their body and stop focusing on the bodies of others and, um, and not to look at the magazine covers and think that that's how you're supposed to look, you know, um, because mm -hmm. those magazines often will send such a, um, such a negative vibe 
and saying, well, I, I'm, I'm not beautiful because I'm not skinny like her. I'm not beautiful because my skin is not flawless like hers, you know, um, but beauty is within, um, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but beauty also is more so within than it is on the outside. I yeah. commend you for doing this for uh, young girls. I was going to ask you what you meant by being their authentic self. So it's not just spiritually. So it's just period. Yes. Because, you know, being, being authentic is being authentic overall, you know, um, bringing who you are to the table. And especially when it comes to um, working with girls, with women, there's a lot of jealousy and envy, you know, um, and that starts in, in the, um, being young, you know, we become jealous of one another as young girls we become envious as young girls, instead of being able to be confident in who we are and what we bring to the table. And then see when our sister has, um, you know, a gift, a call or something that's great about her being able to compliment her. Instead, we've learned to tear that down. I was just having a conversation the other day that, you know, I'm, I'm tired of the, um, the bickering amongst women and the trying to cut each other down and the pettiness and the messiness, you know, we bring, everybody brings so much to the table. If I'm bringing chicken to the table, don't look at my chicken and be focused on the chicken that I'm bringing to the table, bring your steak. And not everybody is going to want your steak. Not everybody's going to want my chicken, but if we're all bringing what we bring to the table and we focus on just what we're bringing to the table, by the time everybody has brought what they have to bring to the table and we all finally look up and see what's brought to the table, we can recognize that there's this great feast. And with this great feast, now we can allow people to feed on their healing. We can allow people to become empowered by this feast. We can allow people to be um, released from the different, um, oppressions that they're experiencing, um, whether it's oppression in relationship, whether it's oppression in the mindset, you know, um, but they can be healed and delivered from so many different things when we're all working together to bring what we bring to the table rather than being divisive and, um, and being divided in, um, in what we do. Well, I'm going to do this over here, but I don't want to invite this sister because, you know, I don't like the way she does such and such. And a lot of times we'll say we don't like the way people do certain things, um, because we're in competition. There's no need to be in competition. There's enough space for us, for all of us. You know, there's room enough for our gifts. There's room enough for them to be, to come together. There's room enough um, for them to operate separately, you know, and it not be competition because the gift, what I bring to the table may, um, it may not be what helps that person become delivered, but it may be what plants the seed. You may come behind me and water that seed and nurture that seed. So there's, a, we all have purpose. And when we stop competing with one another, we can be our authentic selves instead of trying to fit ourselves into a box and be mm. what we think people want us to be so that we can keep everybody happy. So what drove you to start this business? So in seminary, we had to do a capstone assignment and um, in doing the capstone assignment, we had to decide one thing that we would do um, with what we learned in seminary to take back to the community, um, whether it be to our local church or to the community as a whole. And um, so the biggest thing that I wanted to do was be able to help churches develop a resource guide. Far too many times have I heard when there are situations of domestic violence, um, or when individuals are unhappy in their marriage for whatever reason, leaders of the church will say, well, you know, God hates divorce. The saved spouse sanctifies the unsaved spouse. So you can, um, you need to stay in that situation. And, and I was told those very things, um, you know, in a marriage that was emotionally 
abusive. I was told, you know, God hates divorce and, you know, you, you know, you just got to keep praying and, you know, so, and I kept praying, but I, I became depressed and, um, and then life became not worth living for, for some time. It was just understanding that there's a need to do something different. And then I happen to be a social worker and I work in the realm of domestic violence and, um, you know, just seeing the advocates work with the different victims and they say that they're, um, church leaders have told them that, you know, you can't get a divorce because God hates divorce. So I decided that purpose healing was going to be developed so that I could provide services to church leaders to help them develop resource guides when they did have church members who were coming seeking certain services, whether it was because of divorce, because of a sexual trauma they've experienced as a child, or even if a child had been abused or anything that they were dealing with. If it's something that the church should not be trying to handle, but maybe they need to see a therapist that they can be able to go to the therapist. So initially it was just for me to provide resources and then in me talking with um, some of my amazing sister friends, they pointed out some other um, great opportunities that I could bring to the table and should bring to the table. And so it just kind of further developed with the counseling for whether it's individual counseling, marriage counseling, infidelity counseling, you know, helping individuals deal with different traumas and experiences that they've had, stress management, anger management, conflict resolution, again, the body positivity, mentoring, speaking engagements, couples retreats. Um, so it just kind of expanded. And literally, it felt like I had this idea. I ran it by a couple of people. And they were like, okay, this is great. But you need to look at some other things you bring to the table. And then it just exploded. And so now I'm just going forward. And, um, you know, and I'm trying to help people, you know, just to find out who they are, you know, and be okay with who they are. And even as a minister, I am available to work with the, um, the LGBTQT population because they deserve love, you know, and I'm not here to judge anybody, but I'm here to love them right. and I'm here to help them get um, what they need. But I'm also honest, if I'm not the best person to provide that service, I'm willing to help them get connected with who is. And also you wrote a book. Yes. <laughs> You're a busy lady. <laughs> Tell me about your book and what's it called? Okay. Um, the book is She Found Love in a Hopeless Place, an anthology of a spiritual journeys. Um, so I am one of four um, co-authors in the book. And my chapter in the book is The Empty Space. I talk about my journey um, in life being raised by my grandparents and my mother, who was a teenage mother, and having a deliberately absent father and how that his absence created an empty space, one of which I initially didn't know was there um, until later. I also talk about um, being sexually assaulted as a teenager in that book and um, how coming back from that sexual assault I actually became promiscuous because I needed to be in control of my body, you know? So it was kind of twofold. I was promiscuous to be in control of my body, but I was also promiscuous because I was looking for love. And I thought that through sex, I was going to find it. I didn't, I actually got up emptier every time and I wasn't in control of my body. I was out of control, but at the moment you could not have told me that I was out of control. I'm choosing to tell my story about it now. I'm willing to scream it from the rooftops because I have a daughter and I also have a granddaughter. And um, I don't want 
that to um, continue generationally um, because my daughter's father deliberately chose to be absent from her life. And um, my granddaughter, fortunately, her father is deliberate in being part of her life. Um, and I hope that that continues forever. Um, you know, so, but I don't want them to continue to experience it. But I also know that I'm not the only woman who has um, experienced that. And it may be that I'm, that my book may help um, a father understand his daughter. It may help a father understand his, the importance of him being in his daughter's life. Because sometimes you have men that have, um, you know, the mother of their child or their children make it hard for them to not to be able to come around and see their child. So sometimes they'll be like, you know what, I just give up. They'll throw their hands up and not make the effort. But I'm hoping that my chapter and my experience will help uh, mothers and fathers understand the importance of a father being a part of a girl's life. The relationship doesn't have to be perfect, but it does need to be present. That is um, extremely important um, because it has affected me in so many different ways. And even though I have achieved um, great healing from it, I still deal with those issues of abandonment um, and they manifest in relationships. When I feel like I'm being abandoned, um, it kind of brings all of that back. And no matter how much work I do to help, you know, heal from that, it's still a reminder that will forever be there. Um, so when it, anytime any anything familiar feels familiar um, in terms of the abandonment, it'll take me back. So it's just important to tell my story so no one else has to feel that. It is on Amazon. Um, Chandra okay. Thompson is the um, she is the compiler, so you'll see it under um, her name. But she found love in a hopeless place in an anthology of spiritual journeys. And I'm actually in the process of working on a second book. Um, <laughs> now, is this a solo so, book or another group effort? This is another group effort, but I'm working on the group effort as well as a solo book. And I'm working okay. on two solo books. One is um, expanding on my chapter from, chap- from She Found Love in a Hopeless Place. And it'll just be me on my own talking about it and some other things. And then the other one um, is kind of like a, um, a fiction but it's based on um, the true, some true events that happened in my life, but it's going to be um, fiction. I'm only because of the, the people involved. I'm going to tell it from the fiction aspect, but it is going to be something that is very realistic and people have experienced. Mm-hmm. So um, some things in the works. <laughs> Actually, I'm doing the same thing, writing a book about my life. And um, that's how the podcast name came about worldly church girl. Cause that's the name of the book. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I always tell people I ch- I made it fiction to save the the guilty and the innocent, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and not to get sued. <laughs> right, because you have to you when you start like if you name people, you do have to get their permission to name them in the book. But outside of that, yeah, 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 so. and I I tell everybody um, it's not a Christian book either. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, uh, my and, life was not all rated G, so it has to, it's, it's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like some people who have, um, read, um, you know, people from church who have read the book are like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that you went through what you went through. And I would, I would definitely say that my chapter was not as um, well-written as I would have liked it to be. Um, mm-hmm. simply because of the fact that this was my first time writing and I just didn't, I should have tapped into some other resources to get it well-written. So that's why I'm going to write 
another book more where I can tell the story fully and flesh it out completely. Now, are you self-publishing your book? Um, yes. Ever think about sending it to an editor, not an editor, a literary agent to see if they can publish it for you? Um, I hadn't. No. Now the um the book that's going to be fiction but loosely based on the truth, I mm-hmm. might have to look into getting um into doing that. So now is that one going to be on the Christian shelf or is that going to be in the fiction shelf? Yeah, huh? Okay. Yeah, it, it might be a little more risque for the Christian shelf. Might that, yeah. yeah. That's what I said. The Saints might have they might want to think twice for the remind. I want to pray first, say, but here's my thing. If you can go to the movies or rent a movie that's rated R, you'll be fine. Absolutely. Stop being so extra. Like I tell people, listen, um, like I don't know my story. Don't judge me. Um, but when you do learn my story, understand that I'm not my story. This is a part of what I've experienced, but I'm not right. my story. Sometimes when we see the individuals that are quote unquote, that girl, we don't look at why are they that girl that why are they sleeping with everybody? You know, why are they doing these things? It's oftentimes it's a brokenness in that individual, but because we're so mm-hmm. busy looking at what they're doing rather than the why mm-hmm. we miss the opportunity to help them heal. Because sometimes like when I was broken, I didn't know I was broken and I didn't know that, that I needed to be healed. I didn't know that I had to process through some stuff. I didn't know that. I didn't see anything wrong with what I was doing. I'm like, shoot, this is my body. I do what I want to do with my body. But I couldn't understand that I was broken. You know, I knew that every time I laid down with a guy, whether it was the same boyfriend laying down with him over and over, hoping that by me being intimate with him, it was going to make me feel love. But I would always get up emptier. I didn't know that that was because I was broken, that even if he did love me, I couldn't feel it because I was broken. And if, if I had people around me that knew and understood that, then I probably could have gotten my healing sooner, you know, mm-hmm. and I didn't because it wasn't meant for me to, but there right. are, sometimes there are people we're connected with. And oftentimes what happens is, is that you have family members, you have friends, you have church members that are whispering and talking about this person, but they're not saying, you know what, come here, baby, let me love on you. Come here, baby. Let me be here for you. They're not saying, you know what, when I go to, when I go into prayer tonight, I need to lift up this young lady. I need to lift up this young man because I can see that they're broken. I can see that they're going through some things. I may not be able to put my finger on it and know exactly what it is, but I know that they are hurting and that they're struggling and they may not even know. So God help them. Mm -hmm. And help me to know how to help them if I'm supposed to be the one helping them or at Mm -hmm. least connect them with who is supposed to help them. Because sometimes it ain't us. Sometimes it's somebody else that might be their peer. You know, it may be another person in the church that um, is the same as them um, in the same circle of friends as them. You never know. Um, But until we begin to actually put that out there you know, in prayer until we begin to put that out there in the relationship building phase with an individual, they're going to continue to stay the way that they are. And it's not just um, those that are broken and that is, um, that's, you know, um, very active sexually. It also is for those that are um, gossipers, you know, um, people are gossiping and they're talking to whomever will listen because they just need to be accepted. So if, if I'm gossiping to you and telling you about this person's business and you'll take the time to sit and be with me and listen to me, I'm being accepted, even if it's just in the moment. 
And then because when you know that I always know everybody's tea, oh, you won't come back and talk to me later because I'm, you know, so it gives me a feeling of acceptance. Of course, yeah, I'm going to continue to do this because if I don't do this, I'm not feeling accepted. Men who sleep around um, with various different women, it's not because, oh, he's out here being a man and that's just what men do. It's because he's broken. I've, I've talked to different people and they're like, well, how do you feel about marriage since your marriage didn't work? And I said, at the end of the day, we were two broken people coming together, trying to become one. Well, we ain't even know who we were as individuals until we got the healing. I decided to get the healing, but it just didn't work. I'm thankful for my son out of that relationship. I'm thankful for the years that my daughter has, has had and still has him as a father figure. However, you know, we just ain't meant to be. And it wasn't until that marriage ended that I actually was able to get my healing. As long as right. that marriage was still going on, I wasn't healing. I was still being broken um, even more because his brokenness contributed to my brokenness and my brokenness contri- contributed to his brokenness. So it was just a cycle of broken. What is your main goal? What is your purpose you feel in life? Um, my purpose is just to help other people, you know, and while I help other people by being transparent and, um, my own choices, my own mistakes, my own experiences, and helping people to just know that, you know, um, life ain't going to be perfect, you know, and it's okay to be who you are. I spent a lot of time, which is kind of goes back to the authentic self too. I spent a lot of time being what and who I thought I was people expected me to be. You know, I didn't want people to see that things weren't always happy in my home. I didn't want people to see that, you know, uh, my children might have misbehaved or my daughter might have had an attitude problem, you know, or that I had anger issues. I didn't want people to see that. So I learned how to put a mask on in public. But I have since taken that mask off and I've shattered it. And I'm okay with people seeing the authentic me. You know, um, and I understand that everybody ain't going to like it, but I don't care. And I want other people to get to that point. I just want to help people to be able to be themselves authentically and stop trying to be who they think everybody wants them to be. Now, my last question. You ready? Mm -hmm. If you can have any song be your theme song when you walked into a room, what would it be and why? She's a bad mamma jamma. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and the why is because it speaks to where I was as the not thinking I was good enough, not recognizing my worth. It speaks to the fact that even though I spent decades in that mindset, decades not knowing my worth, now I stand before you bad mamma jamma like I'm as foxy as I want to be not just physically but also emotionally spiritually I'm just as fine as I want to be you know I am fine you know and not you know and when we think about fine we think about spiritually I'm fine even when I'm not okay you know like it's okay to not be okay it's okay to have a bad day you know, um, it's okay to not want to be, not want to fool with nobody today, but like, listen, today just ain't a good day. You know, um, it ain't, it ain't a situation of I need my coffee. It's all day. Ain't going to be a good day. Just leave me alone. That's okay to be like that. You know, I'm fine being like that. And, um, so she's a bad mamma jamma, um, because I've overcome 
so much, um, you know, and of course I did not overcome it by myself. Um, God was very instrumental um, in, in me overcoming it because God allowed me to be connected to various people um, from my children to other people to, you know, um, I've got um, a few sister friends who are, um, they're friends, but they've become sisters. I've got a few brother friends who have become brothers, you know, who have become family on, and then I have a very supportive family on top of that. So because of God, I have just been surrounded by people who have been there to help me overcome and have been there to say, you know what, the stuff that you don't like about you or didn't like about you that you now love about yourself because you no longer have to hide it or try to mold it to look like or be like what you thought everybody else thought. We love you and we love all of that. Like off the top of my head, that is it. I'm walking in the room and she's a bad man. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> That's what I'm here. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And no, it ain't no church song, but listen, it don't have to be um, because it doesn't have (laughs) to be. It's your song. Who who said it had to be a church song? Exactly. (laughs) So, I mean, and, and, and I love it because it speaks to who I've become, you know, and, and not just who I have become, but who I am becoming. Like every day I'm excited to see, okay, what does today have to hold? Because I'm able to see the situations of life and use them as experiences, whether it is um, dealing with the jealousy and envy of other women, or it is um, dealing with the issues of, um, you know, within family or whatever, you know, dealing with someone else's issues um, of domestic violence, sexual assault infidelity, you know, um, low self-esteem, um, low by, um, not recognizing their own body is beautiful. You know, whatever the situation is, I know that all of it is training ground for me to become who God has called me to be. So I'm excited. Amen. Carol, I love you. (laughs) I love you too. This isn't great. (laughs) I promise I love you because that's funny because I'm like, Shoot, because my theme song would be no church song. <laughs> and Lord knows I love them. Girl, if, if you don't make that your ringtone. To, it's, I think I'm gonna. Like, it's it, it's gonna be it. When I tell you, like... <laughs> and like, I mean, right. and I think that that's the theme song for, like, every woman should want that as a theme song. Yes. You know? Because at the end of the day, no matter what, you know that you are bad. Like we all bring something great to the table, no matter what it is, whether it is financial consulting, whether it is counseling, you know, whether it is um, being creative, um, whether you're a literary enthusiast, whatever it is, we all bring something to the table, you know? And so we don't have to compete. So we all equally are bad man pajamas. And that's cool. Girl, (laughs) you know, if you ever have a women's week at your church, if you don't make that child steal a uh, sermon. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, I have no problem with bringing in, um, you know, I, I bring in secular music into my sermons and we'll say the words to them. I have, mm-hmm. um, I've brought in some stuff and said, listen, from the gospel of Jay-Z, you know, <laughs> let me tell you, because like, <laughs> like people have to understand, like, you know, that, 
so many different players in this world that can bring something to the table. And even in the church, everything can't be so holy all the time because mm. everybody that's in the church is not listening to the gospel music. Right. Everything that is, um, everyone that is in the church is not necessarily looking, reading the Bible and understanding the Bible. You know, um, when we have people that are walking in off the streets, whether they're coming in with their mother, their father, their grandmother, their uncle, their aunt, or whomever they're coming in, or they're just coming in because, you know, I'm hurting, I'm struggling. Let me try this church thing today. Whatever the situation is from the pulpit we have a responsibility to be able to reach anybody that walks through those doors so the sermons that are preached should never be so over the heads of anybody if a five-year-old is sitting in that um in that service and that five-year-old is listening to what is being said it should be said in a manner to where that five-year-old can still take something away from that message right and i was just thinking about the music thing i'm sorry but it's according to my mood. I might want to listen to a little Kirk one day. I might want to listen to New Edition the next day. I might want to listen to Neo the next day. <laughs> I'm, it, it just depends. It, I, it, it depends on my mood swing. If I, My playlist can go all over the place. Who knows? But that don't mean I don't love God any less. Exactly. And, you know, and the, the great thing about that is like, um, cause I tell people, um, there's a couple of ladies from our, my church that, um, I always see at the gym every morning when I go to the gym. So, um, I was messing with one the other day cause she was, um, looking at a video on YouTube and listening to the music. I was like, is that gospel? <laughs> she was like, well, you know, I said, girl, bye. I got go, go playing right now. <laughs> I'm like, you'll never know. You don't don't ever answer my headphone. You might be listening to trap music. Ain't no telling. Girl, because I, I need that something that, you know, there are days where I'm going to be listening to gospel. There are days that where I am at the gym and I am worshiping. But then there are days where I just need something else. I don't necessarily care for the the uh, the newest rap and stuff like that, no. but the old school oh, rap yeah. and stuff like that, I'm definitely going to listen to that. The go-go that I grew up on from the D.C. area, I'm definitely, because yes. that is the D.C. music. That's, right. a, that's a native right. music of D.C. Um, I'm definitely going to listen to that, but that doesn't make me any less saved. It doesn't make me any less effective as a minister because I listen to these things. If anything else, it makes me more relatable to the people who are listening to it. So I understand what they're hearing in these words. Like, even right. my daughter, when she listens to certain songs and I'm hearing it played I'm like okay what did they say because I don't understand y'all y'all's rappers and stuff like that that (laughs) now they get it they understand it but I don't I can't I don't I don't know if I'm slow you know but I just can't understand it and it's funny you mentioned DC because um I was playing doing the butt um (laughs) in the car one day and Mm -hmm. my girls was like what are you listening to I was like don't worry about it Uh, before it was twerk music (laughs) Girl, pre-twerk. It was just, we were just straight out calling it the butt. Uh-huh. <laughs> y'all want to sugarcoat it, twerking now. It was the butt. <laughs> it was shake your thing, push it, you know what I mean? Girl. Come on. We called Girl. it what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was different. It was fun. And I was telling my girls, I said, y'all don't even have dance groups. We had dance groups. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, I was in a group. It was two girls and three guys. I was in a dance group. And, and I'm we like, had double dance groups, group. too. And we, we practice every weekend so we can show everybody that, that night. See, I don't even do that. Man, break dancing. Oh, my gosh. Like, that's yeah. when hip-hop was like... It was a see, baby. That, 
Yes, that's what hip hop was like. That was hip hop. Like, yeah. oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was hip hop. There's hip hop mm-hmm. and there's rap. It, they'll never have the experience of having the record player with the two no. set tapes. And then if you wanted to record the song that you're playing on the record player, <laughs> you can record it on the tape. <laughs> but wait a minute. Or the worst was trying to record a song on the radio and a DJ start talking. And you're like, oh my gosh, shut up. <laughs> I'm trying to get the song. <laughs> like, and you almost think you got it. Be like, okay, I got it from the beginning. He didn't say nothing. And it'd be like, right at the end, now this clown want to start talking. Be like, oh, uh-huh. what? Because they knew we was all out there dubbing them tapes. <laughs> yes, because it was. But wait a minute. Remember this? You take the cassette out, and you take a nail, and just turn it just a little bit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> then put it back in there and try to, try to hit record, making it seem like it'll fade out a little bit. Be like, all right, that I was got our it. way of taping over stuff. <laughs> Oh my gosh, they'll never understand that. They'll never. No, it was. <laughs> yeah, I was just telling my daughter the other day, like we, I miss groups like JJ Fad, like yeah, you know, like like we're JJ Fad and we're here to rock. I'm like, y'all just don't <laughs> understand Supersonic. Okay, <laughs> you know, I have like UTFO and love them. I was a yes. love cake with Kango. You know, you cold world to be with me. I was like, yes. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> like y'all would never get it. Never. Okay. I, I have a confession. Like like when LL came out with I Need Love, I hated that song. I hated it. Did you? Oh my gosh. Because it was the first slow rap song, remember? Uh-huh. Yeah, it was. Because I, I hated it. I was like, this don't even make any sense. Rap is not supposed to be a slow song. It took me forever to start liking that song. And by the time I Listen. started liking it, you know, it was old then, but cause you know, I was like, I'm bad. That was my, you know, uh, my radio. I was like, that's LL, but I need love. Ugh, Look, I love that song, and I had a big old LL Cool J um, poster on my wall. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one. I think he had the red Kango hat and no shirt on. I was yeah. just like, that song will come on. I'll be like, yes, I need love. <laughs> Look at him, like. <laughs> I was like lusting after him. It was terrible. <laughs> Ain't no nothing about nothing, but I wanted him. Because <laughs> he was, LL was that dude back then, but he lost me for a split second when he put that one out. Yeah, but you sound like your allergies acting up too. I'm going to let you go, lady. Thank you so much. I appreciate you doing this. Thank you. Welcome. And hopefully one day soon I can have you back on here. Okay. Just let me know. Okay. All right, right. I sure will. Good night. All right, you too. Good night. Thank you, Lakeisha, for being on my show. You are the bomb.com. I can't wait to talk to you again. And if you would like to be on Worldly Church Girl, click the link below and shoot me an email and let's see what we could do with that thing. And while you're listening, because you have been listening, you might as well subscribe. And as always, Thanks for joining your girl, the one and only Worldly Church Girl.